0: Well take your Bibles this morning. We're going to be in a couple of different passages. Uh, you'll need to turn to Acts chapter 2 and we'll be in verses 43 through 47. We'll spend the bulk of our time there but I want you to put a place marker there and turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and I, I'll go there in just a moment. Last week we looked at a story of full devotion and we, we crossed the first three chapters of Deuteronomy and I, I talked about how I love those chapters because it reminds us that in the midst of what God is doing with his people and the hardships and our rebellion that he never misses a beat, he is always faithful to us. And what a powerful promise that is for us because in the midst of all of our wranglings and rebellion and straying, God remains the rock. And we know where he is and we can trust in him in all things. When, when we come to Deuteronomy, I reminded you that the Israelites were on the edge of the Jordan River and about to cross over. It was the second time that they had gotten there, right? And uh, it was 40 years later, and only a few of them n- were there the first time but uh most of them if not all of them knew perfectly well what this position represented for them and so Moses reminds them of all that God had done and of his saving love then in chapter 4 he commands the law to them he reminds them in other words of the way that God has spoken and what God desires for them and the blessings if they obey and the curses if they rebel and and those things and then when he comes to chapter 6 he he does something that that might be considered a little wow I didn't see that going there but here's what he says in chapter 6 in verse 4 <clears throat> in verse 1 he says this is the commandment and he says so everything I've just said here's how I want you to live it out Hear, O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one your gates. You see, what what Moses was telling them is that this should be such a consuming reality for you, that there's no aspect of your life that's not completely defined by your love for the Lord. See, what Moses says is because God is a God of full devotion, you can live a life of full devotion unto him. And our life unto God a full devotion is, is not because of what we conjure up or produce, but rather it's because of what God has done for us. That's what Moses is telling them. A life that is less than a full devotion to God is a wrong response to the faithful one who has poured himself out fully in his devotion to us. You see, this is a, An important teaching for the people of Israel. Such importance that it became the center of all of their life. It's so important that Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, when he's challenged by one of the Pharisees, would affirm that this is the central teaching of all of life. In other words, every law that is laid down in the Bible hinges on this very teaching. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. And he adds to it from Leviticus chapter 19. He says, and the second is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, Jesus makes these the central teaching of all of God's word. Why? Because he says this. When you love God with a full devotion, you will love others... In that way, because that is the way God has loved you. The way God has loved you is the way God wants you to go and to live in his love. And to show that by loving others. You see, a life of full devotion to God, it's our supreme glory. And while we can go, oh, yes, that's a big word, but not really give definition to it, let me tell you what supreme glory means. All of your good, all of your beauty, all of your happiness, all of your pleasure, everything that you desire, want, and are satisfied and purposed by and find meaning in in this life, that's what supreme glory means. And that's what we are being told by God's word here. You see, a life of full devotion means obedience to the commands of Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I want you to see. Obedience is the distinctive mark of devotion to Jesus. It's interesting in our day and time where relativism has so permeated our thinking and everything about our culture, obedience becomes a very negative word, doesn't it? And yet our supreme glory is consumed in our obedience to the Lord Jesus. Jesus. It's not just about ritual. It's not just about activity. It's about a relationship. You see, when we get to the New Testament, we see that Jesus fulfills the law for us. In other words, the, the, the mandate to obey has ultimately been fulfilled for us because anyone who's tried to obey perfectly knows one thing. I'm not perfect, right? And those who think of themselves otherwise... Get away and stay away as far and as long as you possibly can. They're danger. Mostly to themselves, but you're going to be some of the residual effect of that if you're too close to them. right, We we don't claim perfection. I don't know anyone that's ever claimed perfection in their life. But what takes place in the New Testament is that Jesus comes and he lives a perfect life. And in him, we learn in the New Testament, our demand for perfection is fulfilled when we put our faith in him and what he's done for us, and we trust him with our life. You see, Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly by living a life of full devotion. And he did that by his perfect obedience to the Father. And of course, Hebrews tells us that it was his perfect obedience that led to his suffering and his suffering that maintained his perfection even in death. Not only what he did, but the way he did it. You see, God's love has come to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And by God's love, Jesus came and lived a perfect life. Life. By God's grace, that perfect life grants to us credit for what He accomplished when we give to Him all that we failed in. We take on His righteousness as He takes away our unrighteousness. This is the essence of the gospel. This is the essence of Deuteronomy 6 and Matthew 22. And this is the essence of the law in what God has commanded. We realize we're not perfect in. We see the one who came and lived. A perfect life, died a perfect death, rose from the grave and left it perfectly empty and now sits on the perfect throne of all that has ever been and will ever be and rules and reigns perfectly for us. By faith we walk in obedience to live out a full devotion to the perfect one. You see, Jesus and his full devotion made a way for us to be made righteous And to live in obedience to his commands. You say, "Well, what about Jesus' commands? There's a lot of debate today, aren't there, about how many of these do I have to know? And even more so, how many do I have to obey? And about as much time as we give to answer that question is never mind. Right? It's too many. I don't even want to start. It's too big of a project. I don't want to get into it. But here's what we understand. Jesus' first command to his disciples was very simple. Two words. Follow me. Follow me. Sounds so easy at first. Can you imagine? I got this. Dropped his nets, threw his fishing poles down, and went. Man, I'm owning this. Look how good we're doing, Jesus. Right? Maybe you've heard some of these own expressions in your mind, too. But it didn't turn out to be as easy as it at first seemed. You see, following Jesus means that we learn to walk in God's love every day. To trust Him and obey Him. As our defining joy and and, and as our defining strength for this life. And the more we walk with Him, the more we serve Him. And the more we serve Him, the more we obey Him. And the more we obey Him, the more His love begins to fill us even to an over. You see, following Jesus means living in his redeeming love that transforms us into his likeness. You see, there's a reason that God commanded us to love him. Let let me give you the big principle. If God didn't command it, none of us could do it. There isn't anything that happens in this world that doesn't happen By the sovereign hand of God. And if God had not said it, there would not come the power for us to do it. And for it to bring to us all that God intended in it for us. You see, I begin this way today because obedience to Jesus by faith leads to a life of full devotion. You see, we have it all at our disposal from the very beginning of coming into a relationship with God. But few of us access it to that potential, right? What does science tell us? Tell science tells us we use about 10% of our actual brain capacity, right? Some of us are saving some of that for later. And why use it all at, at the beginning, right? I mean, I got a lot of life I want to live. I'll tap into the rest of my 10% later. They also tell us, though, that typically most people only use about 10 to 15% of their lung capacity. So when they get in percentages, when you see athletes tapping into percentages of their lung capacity that are greater than this, like you're like in awe. How did they learn to do that? Some people ask that question. Not all of us. Some of us don't care to learn. I'm good with my 10%. <sighs> yeah, I'm good. I'm good. No sweat. So that's the good part, right? But a life of full devotion is so full of the presence and so full of the power of God's love that that we want to live distinctly for Him. That that we're not satisfied to remain in the 10% of what we can accomplish, but rather entering in to all that God has for us. When we follow Jesus, we learn to live in His redeeming love and we learn how His redeeming love works. That's the gospel. Christians understand this, that though we've been made righteous, it doesn't mean that the direct implication of that in this world is that we become perfect. No, as a matter of fact, we're left here to be a faithful witness. And what does a faithful witness do? It demonstrates how quickly and how fully repentance really works with God. That's what humility is all about. Turning back to Him... And as we experience his transforming power in our life, in every aspect of it, we experience more of his presence and more of his power. It's not that God gets bigger, it's that God gets bigger in us. We tap in to that 11th percentile and beyond of our, of our uh, electrical impulses of the gray matter of, the, uh, uh, of the, the air that gets taken in by us. we tap in to a, a region of existence and operation that God brings about within us and not just what we produce in ourselves. See, it's when we follow Jesus and we learn the pattern of his redeeming love, how, how, how we are convicted of sin and we see his righteousness and, and we repent to turn away from ourselves and our own doing and we turn back to him and he fills us to overflowing yet once again. It's called the gospel. It's good news. It's Jesus Christ. It's why he's come. And so beginning with the story of full devotion last week, Today I want to advance forward and I want to ask the question, what does a life of full devotion look like for us? What does a life of full devotion unto God look like? Here's what I want you to walk away with today and I hope and pray that this message encourages in you. God's love grows a full devotion to Jesus that compels me to live in his transforming power God's love grows a full devotion to Jesus that compels me to live in his transforming power we're going to look at 3 areas of priority for your life today 3 areas of priority for your life in order to live a life of full Devotion. The first area of priority is simply this. It is a life shaped by gospel-fueled transformation. A life that is shaped by gospel-fueled transformation. You know, we can represent a lot of change in our life in this world today, can we not? Medicine can alter your life. Surgery can alter your life. Decisions alter your life. Uh, accomplishments, achievements, any of these things can alter your life, and many of them significantly, but nothing transforms but God's power. You see, there's a big difference when we live a life that is shaped by gospel-fueled transformation. It simply means this, that the good news of God's love and God's grace has come to live within us and change us from within. It changes us at the core of who we are even before it alters the outward expression of what we are. And that's what a life shaped by gospel-fueled transformation means. Let me read this verse to you. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I want to remind us of it, and I'll come back to it next week. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ, that, that phrase Paul uses there just means that we've repented of our sin, we've put our trust in Jesus, and we are by faith walking in the love of God Each and every day. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It means we fail. It means we repent. It means sometimes we do pull our bootstraps up, but we don't live our life dependent on how high we can get our bootstraps or how tight we can draw our belt. Rather, we focus on not what we can do, but what God is doing in us in order to lead us forward in every decision, relationship, circumstance, situation of life. That's what a life of full devotion is all about. And that's what it means to be in Christ. He is Lord. He rules. And he rules in such a way that he is worthy to as Lord. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. You see, this is is the distinction with Christianity, even against all other religions. It's not what you produce to get to God. It's what God has accomplished for you a new creation we're something totally different no 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 no. this isn't just I took the same play-doh and made something better than you Genesis tells us that God created ex nihilo out of nothing came his creation you and I we begin with things I'm going to take some paper and make a killer plane right and I'm going to fly it all the way across the room But we don't start with nothing and produce something. God began with nothing. He spoke, and it was. He looked, and it was good. And that's the way God works. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Listen to me, friends. The new that is you in Jesus is not the same you without him. And that is the one prevailing truth. That we do everything that we do for every week to remind you, to encourage you, to try and massage that truth more deeply into your heart and into your mind and to help you live in light of that. The old has passed away. Let me give you a little Greek lesson here. That past word there is final. It's complete. After the word passed away, which is the verb itself, there's a period In other words, that sentence isn't going to take a turn and have a but or a yet after it. It's done because the new has come. The new. Has come. That's what he tells us. Every person that trusts in Jesus for salvation is made new, and we need a new understanding of our new identity in Jesus. You see, new by God's redeeming love in Jesus is what it means to be a Christ follower, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to obey when he says, follow me. Christians are people that live ruled by a gospel-fueled transformation when you hold as your focus priority the new that Jesus has shaped in you. God, I am not acting in accordance to what you've created me to be. That means my actions need to alter to the reality of the truth of what you said I really am. That's what it means to be gospel-fueled. I repent and turn away from trusting me and I look to you to see the reality of what you have said about me to become the prevailing truth of how I live out what you've created me to be. Friend, do you know the new that Jesus is making in you? Do you know that? Are you aware of that every day, every moment of every day? That's what it means to live a gospel-fueled transformation. LifePoint holds as the center of its vision the transformed shape of a full-formed life of full devotion. We call it the ethos or the identity of a Christ follower. You see, what we're trying to do is help you see the bullseye of what God is forming as the new in you. Our mission focuses on equipping every person to live a full devotion in God's redeeming love to to experience his transforming power that's that's why we say to lead people to be real Christ followers in life together I, I mean it's just simple but it's not near as easy as it sounds follow me The whole purpose of our church is to lead people to be real Christ followers in life together. Yeah, yeah, Pastor, we've heard that so many times. Man, I was going to bring you the first image that I drew to, to illustrate this. But it was pretty pathetic. So I'll show you the one that's developed since then. We have in our community room this image of the Christ followers life Together and what that vision is all about, we define a real Christ follower in this way. Here's what the new is a worshiper, a servant, a disciple, and a missioner. Why? Because as we live in this way, it helps us to shape this full devotion. To God through a gospel-fueled transformation. You see, as worshipers, we are engaging the heart to grow a comprehensive love for Jesus in every area of our life, ne- leaving nothing behind. We, we've been given a new heart, and that new heart is filled with the Spirit of God Himself from which we can live out of. And that means for us that the command that God gave in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and Jesus affirmed as the center of the follower's life remains the same for you and I today. This is the new that God is making in you, himself living out from within you. A new heart that knows God and is known by God. You see, Christians live out of our new heart. We're not driven by our heart. We don't follow our heart because it drives us. We follow the heart because God is the one who is leading us forth from it. Christians live out of our new heart in order to source this whole life of God's love. We we live as servants. You see, a full devotion shapes a life of gospel-fueled transformation as servants who engage the hands to model God's love, not only in deed, but also in spirit. In other words, not in just what we do, but in the way we do everything that we do. See, that's the thing that was so appealing about Jesus, is he was approachable. No one looked at him and went, dude, I, I can't get close to him. No, everybody looked at Jesus and said, I want to be right next to him. Even though I know I'm not like him. That's what it means to live as a servant. The moment we begin to live in God's love is the moment we cease to live for self. Christians live to serve others in Jesus' name because we live filled with a great love. A great love. Listen, friends, let me tell you something. When you're having trouble treating other people the way you know Jesus would treat them, the way you know Jesus would have you to treat them, there's a reason for that, and you need to go back to that reason. It's because your heart is getting very close to the E, and you're running on empty, and you need to stop trying as much, and you need to start letting God fill you more. You can't live a full devotion out of your own being. You live a full devotion out of the overflow of God's filling of your life. The third area of our identity is a life of full devotion shapes a life of gospel-fueled transformation that engages the mind as disciples. that, That we would appropriate the truth of God into faithful obedience in all of our life. And I don't just mean apply it, but I mean appropriate it. I mean taking the reality of what God has said and the reality of how we failed and through repentance, receiving him by faith, saying, God, I'm going to walk in this way out of faith. I don't see how it's going to work, and I don't know how it's going to work out. But I do know that this is what you've commanded me to do, and I'm going to trust you and follow it. That's what a disciple does. Appropriate those gospel truths to every realm of life because we are given a renewed mind. Romans 12, 2. And then a full devotion shapes a life of gospel-fueled transformation as a mission or to spread the gospel. Lord, I'm not just learning in my own heart and life how it is that you want me to live, but I'm declaring that to other people and giving them the same hope that I found in you. And of course... We do all of this to live as stewards, that our life is not our own. We were bought with a price. Therefore, we want to honor God in this body with all things. That's what it means to live as a steward. I want to talk to you for a minute. I want you to hear. I don't want to talk to you. I want someone else to talk to you. I want to introduce Peter and Jay Anderson to you. Peter wanted to make a grand entrance today, so he tore his Achilles heel yesterday. So if he says something a little, it might be the Percocet. You know, I I don't know. Don't laugh. It hurts. <laughs> Here's what I, I've asked Peter and Jay to come share for just a few moments. Come on over, Peter. Which one of you wants this? All right. I've asked Peter and Jay just to share, uh, how did you choose Life Point? I've known Peter since he was in college, before he was a father, before he was a husband. And I just said, would you, would you come and share about why God led you to Life Point and, and why you believe having your family in a church that teaches the Bible and, and encourages to walk with the Lord, why that's important for you?
1: Well, I'll start with a little bit of background and then Jay can mm-hmm. hopefully fill in the blanks. But, um I like we both grew up in church um, and we've been in church as long as we can remember and uh, one of the one of the big things that church became was comfortable it was just one thing that that's what we did every week and so before we were really feeling led to uh, to look for a new church. we were really feeling challenged, um, like in our prayer life and then also uh, from the pulpit and just in a way that we were wanting to see what we could do to reach out and share the gospel with others around us. And uh, one thing that was really uh, one thing we were looking for in a new church was uh, the biggest thing was to be challenged. and. Um, we also were wanting to find a place in our community where we could uh, serve and um, just be able to uh, come alongside with the church. So That's good. Keep going. What was the other question?
0: <laughs> just the value of a church for you. Is there anything else you would add to that?
1: Um, I mean, the the biggest value that we've gotten from LifePoint, I think, has been uh, just the community groups uh, being able to uh, be challenged not only on Sundays, but then also throughout the week with uh, knowing that we have people that are behind us and care for us and uh, are wanting to support us in that. And then also a big thing is uh, with our oldest uh, in school and um, just having a church that, is coming alongside us to help train them up in the, in the gospel, uh, like we're trying to do at home. And so that's one thing that we've really enjoyed. That's
0: great. Jay, do you want to add anything? No, not really. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Pr- yep. Pray for Peter. He uh, has a consult with the doctor tomorrow and probably facing surgery. Um, uh, and that's never a, a, fun, a fun thing. Uh, th- this is our aim. It's our guiding vision. It's our compelling mission as a church. It, it may sound simple, but, but then when you get into the details, it can become hard. But friends, every life shaped by a gospel-fueled transformation. God's love grows a full devotion to Jesus that compels us to live in this way. It, it, the, second, the second area of priority I, I want to... Um, I want to present to you is, is what I would call a Jesus-centered culture that cultivates a Christ follower's ethos. If I pulled a seed out and I placed it on this table and I said, I can't wait to see how that seed grows and develops right there, most people would think I was nuts. That's what they should think because that seed's not going to go anywhere, right? It needs soil and the soil of a Christian's life is culture. It's the culture that grows this. That's why I say a Jesus-centered culture. If you're in your Bible, now go to Acts chapter 2. I preached a sermon the first of this year in January called Fully Devoted. And and it it was based on Acts 2.42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. It identifies four priorities, not only for individual Christians, but also for the church to give themselves to. And as a result of that, it also shows another thing. Look at verses 43 to 47. Here's what we can see from this, friends, that that, that what we see is a culture that really begins to develop. And and what happens is a culture is something that really synergizes from values and the things we celebrate to the practices and traditions to the economy and the language in order to form a distinct environment among a people. And you see a distinct Jesus-centered culture forms... When Christ followers hold to the faithful teachings of the scriptures, to a spirit-filled fellowship among God's people, to a communion with God among the body of Christ, and, and to the ministry mutually among one another. That, that synergizes together to form a culture, and it's like the soil of a Christian's life. Where we must plant our life in order to grow. And so, what Acts does in verse 44, 43 and following, excuse me, through 46 is it shows how a Jesus centered culture affects and influences every person. And it does it with this word and. With the word and. Look at this. Verse 43, remember, they devoted themselves to the four priorities. And it says, verse 43, and all came upon every soul. Verse 44, and all who believed were together. And they were selling their possessions and belongings. Verse 46, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. What it's doing there is it's telling us what has come together to synergize, to form this culture where Christians plant their lives for it to grow what God is doing within That's what the church is all about. Jesus redeems us from rebellious, self-centered independence to live in redemptive interdependence with other Christians. In other words, we need one another. It's called life together. Maybe you've heard of that. If not, we'll introduce it to you. Every Christian needs their life invested in a Jesus-centered culture in order to cultivate a Christ-centered ethos In life. And friends, we build a culture of incomparable love, of incomparable joy that cultivates a Christ follower's ethos when we center our values, our practices, our traditions, our economy, and our language all on Jesus. And that's the kind of atmosphere that we want to cultivate here. I want you to hear another testimony about how it is that a Jesus centered culture shapes and encourages and cultivates a life. A full devotion. I want to introduce Ryan and Rachel Opal to you. I met Ryan and Rachel um, a couple of years ago and uh, they came through one of our community groups and one of our community group leaders. Come on over here and I'm going to let you tell or let them tell you a part of their story. I've asked them to come and share a little bit about how they came to faith in Christ and how it was that God used the ministry of our churches to cultivate that in their lives.
2: Yeah, so uh start from the beginning, uh, Rachel and I also had a background in church as well. Um, she was from Florida, I was from California. Uh, Rachel was able to actually um, just create, well, to have like a relationship with Christ. Uh, me, not so much. Um, basically, I just went to church because my mom made us go. And uh, I just wanted to really just um, get involved with the youth, not for Christ, but just to socialize. Um, in her adolescent years, she was able to, uh, well, her and her mom moved to Missouri, and she uh, was able to get baptized with her mom uh, the same day. Me, not so much. I got into the wrong crowds, and uh, just experienced with uh, partying and just uh, experimenting with drugs and everything. Um, I eventually joined the military, and um, after my getting to my first duty station, got back into the wrong, Uh, wrong group again, it was just my comfort zone, I was used to doing that. Um, And just uh, getting into partying again and then that's when I started really uh, getting uh, deep into pornography. And uh, so then I got out of the military and then I eventually moved to Avik because my brother was here. Um, And then shortly afterward I met Rachel and we ended up moving to Ozark and we've been here for about six years, seven years. And for the first two years that we've been living here, um, like we weren't married, we were living together, just unmarried, and uh, just wasn't really made aware to us that we were living in that sin. And uh, we eventually started receiving convictions of the Holy Spirit to find a church that we can call home. And uh, after church hopping for a little bit, we eventually came to Life Point. And uh, our first impression of Life Point was great. Uh, we were immediately uh, greeted by Ben Wright. He was working in Connections. And uh, he was just talking to us as if he like, already knew us from, like, you know, ever since we were, like, small or whatever. And, uh, you know, it just started clicking with us. And uh, he was just really generous. He was sharing, you know, some of uh, uh, the missions that LifePoint had. And uh, he was just willing to, uh, you know, show us around and just kind of, you know, get us um, just comfortable with what's going on with LifePoint. Um, he also shared with us group. A community group and uh, church planting, which was all new to us. And uh, so we eventually um, joined community group and uh, we started building relationships and friendships through community group and learning, um, well, just growing in prayer, um, scripture, fellow, fellowship and evangelism. Uh, it was great, but the problem is, is that for me, I was still viewing pornography and it was just so strangled and rooted in me that I just developed, I eventually started developing a hatred for it. And uh, by God's grace, I was able to um, turn to the leadership of LifePoint and um, uh, Pastor Lane, he helped me a lot, uh, just giving me tools to combat that. Uh, Also Brent Fletcher as well, uh, he helped me um, get out of that that pit. Um, But ultimately it was just God's grace just even leading me to this point in my life just to break that bond and just that getting me out of that slavery. And, um, before then, I mean, it was just really impacting in a negative way, just our relationship together. And, uh, but ever since God has broken that, that, uh, that bond and that chain out of my life, it has really uh, just been a huge blessing in our relationship. And, um, so Ben, one day, he, he, he came up to me and, uh, he asked me, because uh, he wasn't sure if like you know, if Rachel and I were married, since we were living together and everything, I told him that we weren't, and uh, he just grew more concerned. And what he ended up uh, doing was just um, kind of showing his concern to me about you know, like us living in sin and showing a scripture um, to uh, really just address that. So that's just, I believe that the Holy Spirit was working through Ben to address that sin in our lives. So our original marriage date was October of 2016, well, the 1st f- of October of 2016. So we ended up getting married on that date, but that was the second time we got married. So it was more of like the celebration. So what we ended up doing was that we, got, we contacted Pastor Lane, and his, uh, by his grace, he wed us on, uh, I, think July. July yeah, I think it was July 30th. Yeah, I think it's July 30th. So um, And that was just a huge impact that LifePoint had on us because uh, before getting to LifePoint, getting into church, you know, we just were doing everything on our own, you know, and obviously we were lost. Um, but just the impact that LifePoint has had is that just putting God first was just so touching to us, and it just, it hit home. Hmm. And ever since doing that, it's just really changed our lives. Thanks, man. Yeah.
0: Anyway, you want to encourage... Any word of encouragement you'd give to end with, or
2: trust in God. <laughs> That's pretty good. Really, That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, simple, just, yeah. but not always easy, right? Right. Just get to that point where you can let go and be comfortable. Good, good. Thank you so
0: much for sharing.
3: Thank you.
0: Uh, stories like this never get old to me. Um, I don't care how long somebody's been walking with the Lord. Every day that is to come, we need help. And introducing people to the Lord. See, we get to see so much of this because we're working behind the scenes. And and, and it's not us, but we're, we're just trying to stay out of God's way and to continue to help people follow him. But it's you serving one another. And that's what synergizes a culture that grows a Christ follower's ethos. Is keeping Jesus at the center and continuing to point each one to him. And Christ follower, uh, uh, Christian, I would just encourage you. What are you doing to take personal responsibility with your life in this church? To cultivate that kind of culture among us. To see Christ become more full in every person's life. I just want to encourage you in that way. We need to move to the third priority. And that is a world transcending mission. I'm going to ask uh, Chuck and Joyce to go ahead and join me uh, here. Verse 47 of Acts 2. Look what happens, friends. We, when we see through the ands, this culture that is created, here's what we see, verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Come on over. You see, friends, when when we focus on the things that we need to be focused on, God is able to do the things He wants to do. And when we, as our Uh, life, uh, live a gospel-fueled transformation and invest in a Jesus-centered culture where we can cultivate this kind of transformation, then God brings us into a world-transcending mission that he is all about. And that's what we're all about as a church. And that's what we want to be able to do. I'm going to ask the ushers uh, because I want to take a moment to talk a little bit About how God's engaging us into his kingdom mission and moving us forward. They're gonna hand out some material to you. It's gonna be a book that looks a lot like this. And um, we're not gonna cover that book, but I just want you to know over the next four weeks, you're gonna hear a lot about what's in this book. And then in October the 1st through the 12th, we're gonna have eight vision nights. And you've probably already heard about those if you're connected to a community group or maybe you've read that email. If not, go back and look for that email. Call us if you can't find it. It just talks about one step that we believe God's leading us in in order for us to continue to stay focused on these three areas of priority as a church. And in this campaign, Chuck and Joyce have been critical leaders, uh, along with Al and Kelly Webb, and I've asked them just to come share for a moment about how it is that God brought them to Life Point and what it is that God is leading us in. And then when they're finished, I'll ask the worship team to return and lead us.
4: I just looked at Chuck when um, the other two finished their testimony, and I said, look at Look at what's wrong with this picture because we had kind of shared what we were going to talk, and so it'd been easy for me just to hand it to him. But I feel like God wants me to share, and it's not, it's out of my comfort zone, and sometimes we need to step out of there. Uh, we thought about why we came to Life Point, and I think it we came because of grandkids. And uh, I its uh, truthfully, in our small group, we have several couples who are here because of grandkids, but why we stayed is because of what we found here. And being here has been such a blessing because we found gospel preaching, we found disciple, uh, people being discipled, and we found great encouragement for everybody to serve, not just inside the walls of this building, but outside also. So as, as we, you know, sometimes you don't think about why you or where you're at or Whatever until you're asked to share it, and we found several things that that just really impacted that. The first being, um, in 2013, we were both retired, and uh, we got this phone call from our daughter, and she said, "I'm going to have twins, and I need help." And at that time, I didn't know it was God's plan, but I'm so thankful it was because we came here, we uh, spent time. Uh, weeks at a time here and then we would go back to our home in Jackson, Missouri and little did we know that that was preparing for us to make a move here because it should be our home. So then fast forward just to a few months later we decided to move to uh, Nixa and um, then we were thinking where should we worship and serve and we began to pray about that and uh, one of the things that we talked about was how important it would be for us to have a a community not only of how friendly LifePoint is, but of people our own age. Because uh, in our previous church, we had um, led a small group, and it was a small group of uh, young couples, and they were such a blessing. But we felt that coming to a new place and not knowing anyone, we needed to have a uh, group of people that we could fellowship with and do life with. So fast forward just a, a week or two, um, one Sunday afternoon we found out Life Point was having a picnic, so we came. And we had very, just, just gotten to the picnic and Arlene and Donna came up to us and they said, you have to come to our small group. And so the next week we visited their small group and every week after that we just kept going. So that made us feel like a part of the church. We still meet weekly with many of those same people that became... Uh, not just our friends, but our family. We pray for them, we pray for their kids, and we've done life together. So we came to LifePoint, we chose LifePoint, or God helped us choose because of the ministry here. But you can see that there were other ways that God prepared us to become here.
3: I believe the question that, that Lane asked was, what, uh, how did God prepare you for this season? And the short answer to that is, is that I want God to show up again and, and show us that God is God and, and we are not. And uh, maybe a little bit more explanation of that is that, again, Joyce said we've been in Life Point about three years now, and we've been the beneficiary of being discipled, and we've shared in discipling other people through leading a small group. And Joyce attended women's Bible studies, and I've attended Men's Night, and we've continued to grow through that. And, you know, like many other churches and and ministries that we've served in, you do become comfortable where you serve, and everything seems to be going along okay. And then one day, the pastor calls you and asks you to go to lunch with him. And uh, Hypothetically, right? Hypothetically, yes, hypothetically. But uh, I learned of the vision that we have for LifePoint, and it's become more apparent to me all the time, and that is not only to to grow our current disciple programs, but to increase and develop new ones and to reach the people in the church and outside of the church. And um, I learned that he wanted us to be involved in, in the campaign. And Joyce and I were enthusiastic about that, and just all for it. A couple of weeks later, we went to an organizational meeting and we really found out that Lane was, <laughs> thinking that we would have a, a major role in, in the campaign and uh, Joyce and I have always been sort of behind the scenes people. We don't mind serving but we don't, uh, we don't really choose or volunteer to be in the limelight much. That We feel like that there's other people more capable or uh, confident in doing those kind of things. So the first thing we did was we prayed. I got up the next morning and I went the book of Nehemiah and uh, I knew he was a great leader and I thought maybe I can learn something from him and I learned that the first thing he did was he prayed about everything and so we sat down and we wrote three things and I want to share those with you if I can make it through this Uh, we will be willing to be vulnerable and let God use us in spite of our fears and reservations the second is, is that with an expectation of his leadership, we would accept the daily responsibilities with joy and anticipation of, of how God wants to accomplish his purposes. Hmm. And then thirdly, uh, we would enter into God's service as a couple, and that our relationship with God and with each other will be strengthened. Hmm. Uh, I need some levity here, so... This third one is very personal because Joyce and I, as we've ministered before, we often agree on the uh, why and the what, but we often don't agree on the how. And so uh, we wanted to, uh, to join in God's service together on this. So we prayed throughout a week and it came back. Uh, we were confident that God was answering our prayers, that we should take this. And and the reasons that we wanted to do this was, first of all, that God would do something through us bigger than than we could do ourselves. And the second thing, that our acts of service would be acceptable to him because we entered into it with a glad and a willing heart. And then finally, we wanted uh, our marriage to be a witness of God's relationship to the church. (laughs) And so, whether it's a couple or whether it's a church, uh, we need to accomplish things that God wants to accomplish and just not what we can do ourselves. Amen. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks, Joyce. Joyce.
0: So I, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to stop and conclude the service in this way um, because of time. Um, I wasn't really expecting that. Um, I I knew what each of them were going to say, but I didn't know exactly what they were going to say. So uh, let me just say this. Take these books, read through them. We're going to be talking about them over the next month and a half or so. Compelled is an intentional strategy to live out what God is living in us as a church. That's all it is. This isn't about anything other than that. It is an intentional strategy to expand and increase the ministries of LifePoint so that we can increase the missional influence of our footprint as a church. And that's what we want to do. Let me pray and conclude the service and we'll be dismissed.